0: So the series is called uh, Church in a City, and uh, last week we looked at chapter eight, uh, and uh, especially Paul was writing about the issue of uh, food that has been offered to idols. And uh, the larger theme that Paul is uh, addressing there was that our freedoms and our liberty in the gospel uh, is defined and constrained by our love for others. Our freedoms in the gospel is always defined and constrained by our love for others. And he continues that theme into chapter nine, And uh, we didn't read this portion, but in verse 1, this is what he says in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? So he's actually talking about his freedom in the gospel. And verse 14, he talks about his right as an apostle. He says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Right? Right? But then verse 15, he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. So Paul is uh, telling how he is willing to give up his freedoms and give up his rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of loving people. And Paul is warning the the people in Corinth, as he's writing to them, he's warning, he's telling them, don't let your freedoms and your liberties hinder the progress of the gospel. Don't let your freedom and, and your desire for freedoms and uh, your, your over-desire for your liberties hinder loving people. And he uses this image of, of sports. He's using the language of a, an athlete and the language of a boxer. Uh, and it's a common image uh, for the audience back then. Corinth was the, the, used to host what was called the Isthmian Games, Uh, which is later known as the Olympic Games. Isthmian is from the word Isthmus. Corinth is situated in Isthmus. Isthmus is a narrow strip of land where there's water on both sides. And we've talked about this uh, uh, at different points where the ships will come. And instead of making that perilous uh, journey around the Isthmus, where there's a danger and it actually takes more time and cost, so they will unload the cargo on one side of the land and they will take it by land. They will then load it into another ship and uh, go to the destination, right? So uh, Corinth is in the middle of that. Uh, and uh, of this isthmus, and uh, they would have people from different places, different cultures, different backgrounds. it was prosperous, uh, it was corrupt, uh, but they would uh, have these games, and it was a common uh, theme in the Corinthian culture, and he uses an image and a language that people know to kind of make a point about how should a believer live, How ought you to live as a follower of Jesus? Right? He's, gonna, he's, he's helping us to understand where, where do we get the power to live like this? So I've titled this sermon, finishing, finishing Well. Finishing Well. We run the race so we can finish well. And the more I think about this, uh, and, uh, and uh, if you're old enough, you keep, hearing, you keep hearing stories of people who don't finish well and it breaks our hearts. And I'm sure maybe you and I, and we personally know people who walk away from the faith. We know people who uh, distance themselves from God, who stop coming to worship, uh, and for whatever reason that is, but, but we know, we, we, we see things like that happen, and how different are we? What stops us? How are we any different? How can we guard against some of those things? How can we finish well? And I'm always fascinated with this. Uh, uh, anytime you, sometimes you hear the, there is a meteor or there is an asteroid that is coming from uh, thousands of light years away and it is uh, heading right uh, towards earth and they're gonna, they they always say, say this, it's going to come and it's going to land on earth and but then when it finally comes... Uh, it misses the Earth by like 20,000 miles or something, right? It's gone somewhere, right? So how is it that it's coming towards the Earth and then suddenly it it misses the Earth by so much, right? It's because on the orbit, even if it makes kind of a minute degree, right? There's a small change in the orbit, minute. But by the time it takes those thousands of light years to reach Earth, it, it misses it by so much, and so, so for us, it, it is not one big disaster that's going to happen that is going to move us away from the faith. It is not some major thing that we need to be careful. No, it is those small things in life. Small things that determine whether we can finish well. Right? So we're going we're gonna to think through this today, right? And as I grow older, people ask me, what is your... What is your goal for the church? What are, what is your, what are your plans? What, is, what, are you, what do you do and all that? And, and, the, more I, and I, the more I grow older, and I'm not that old, but even then, I, the, the more I think about it, I, I, just want, I, just, I just want to finish well. I just want to finish well. It seems like a rare commodity these days. Right? I, it doesn't matter how big the church is, or how many, you, 10 people, let us finish well. So Paul is going to give us three things, and we're going to look at the model, the model for this race, the model of how we can finish, uh, the motivation for it, and the means for it, right? Firstly, the model for this race. Paul is comparing our spiritual life, our journey with Christ as a race, not a sprint, but a marathon, right? And the model for the race is the athlete's preparation. That's the model. And he's going to use this image and he's going to say, look at the athlete. Your your walk with Christ is very similar. Right? Let's see what he says. Verse 24. Verse 24. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Uh, They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. He's using a common image of a runner, a, a runner running in a race, and he says, "But only one receives the prize, right?" And he's talking about a common image. That is not how uh, our life works, where only one person here is going to receive the prize. That's not what he's talking about. It's a common illustration, but then he's applying the illustration in a very specific way, and he wants us to know. He wants us to notice how the athlete exercises self-control. He runs so that he may obtain it. Uh, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he says, don't you know this? He's asking a a rhetoric question. He says, don't you know this? This is how runners run. They exercise self-control. This is what happens. Uh, it is not just for race. For anything in life, if you want to finish well, if you want to succeed at what you're doing, if you want to win or if you want to gain something, you need to have a certain discipline and self-control. You need to work hard towards it. This is, this is, this is common. Don't you know this? He says a runner, and we have a lot of runners in our midst, a runner trains and exercises and prepares and works hard. They have self-control in all things. If you want to win a medal, if you want to win an Olympic medal, you are disciplined and focused about the goal. You wake up at a certain time, you go to bed at a certain time, you train in a certain way, you eat in a certain way, you have certain disciplines that you learn. Why? Because the athlete is after a perishable wreath, And Paul says... How much more us who are running a race for an imperishable, eternal reward? So when we think about this, the immediate question that comes to mind is, but, but isn't the gospel about grace? Isn't the gospel a gift? Why are we talking about works? Why are we talking about hard work here? It seems to contradict the gospel of grace. No, my friends. There is a difference, right? In the gospel, we need to understand that There is a difference between earning and working. It is completely different. The gospel is opposed to earning, but the gospel is not opposed to working. The gospel is not opposed to effort. Now, what is the difference here? Salvation is a free gift. You are saved because of what Christ has done. It is not something you earn. It is not something you work for. You receive it by faith through grace. It comes to us apart from our works and solely because of the perfect work of Christ. That is the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Titus 3, 7 says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation is by grace. It is a gift. This is why we celebrate. This is why we boast about the cross. This is why all of us, it doesn't matter what background you're from, what uh, what culture or what education or what status, it doesn't matter. We are all sinners in need of a savior who died for us on the cross. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place as a substitute. He rose again so that we can have new life. This is the gospel. It's a free gift. And my friend, we are saved by grace. So the gospel is opposed to earning. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. Right? We, don't, uh, we, we, don't, uh, do, we don't deserve it because of it. No, it is, it is a gift from God. But now that we have received it, the gospel is not opposed to working it out. Working it out in your life. Look at, look at these passages. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence... But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say work for. It doesn't say earn your salvation. It says work out. The salvation has been received as a gift by faith, through his grace, through what Christ has done. Now you work it out in your life with fear and trembling. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-centered, upright, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God is working its way out in our lives. 1 uh, Timothy 4 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So, my friends, I want you to understand the grace of God oh, the grace of God, the free gift of God's grace and salvation moves us to work harder, not lesser. Not less. Not less. We work hard. We work hard not to earn God's favor. Oh, we work hard because because God has already favored us because of Christ. We, We don't work hard so that he will approve us. No, we work hard because he has already approved us because of what Christ has done. So Paul says, I work harder than anyone. I work harder than anyone. That is grace working through me. It is grace working through me. So my friends, I want to, I want to understand this even before we kind of move in. Understanding of God's grace. And we talked about this yesterday. Understanding of God's grace. When we, when we lack a proper understanding of God's grace and we and we don't apply God's grace in our lives, it can move us to two extremes, two errors. One is legalism, where we think we'll earn God's favor and we will please him because of our obedience and because of things we do. It is legalism, that is an error of the gospel. Or it'll move us to another error where we think we can do whatever we want. Oh, he has forgiven us, he has saved us, so I can live however I want. That is license, that is an error of the gospel. No, when we really understand the gospel of grace, it results in greater effort, not less. We don't do this out of fear or guilt. It is not out of fear or guilt that we lose something. No, my friend, it is out of confidence and assurance in what Christ has done for us. And so Paul says, why why are you surprised by this? Don't you know this? There are no gospel prodigies. There's nothing automatic here. And so my friends, Paul is warning us. He's saying we, we want, we know, the, we, we know the promises of the gospel. We know that. We want the benefits and the results of the gospel. But Paul is telling us, you know, there is something lacking here, which is your effort in the gospel. It is lacking. The effort is missing. You cannot enjoy the benefits and the power of the gospel without obedience and without walking with Christ and without putting your effort. It is not some miraculous. It is not some one miraculous effort. It is not some one thing that you do that will help you in this. No, it is being faithful in the mundane and ordinary walk of life. That is what it is. So he says an athlete exercises self-control in all things. In all things. It's in the mundane. It's in the ordinary. When you see an athlete who's training, right? Maybe, maybe as a runner or maybe in the gym. You, you can see the difference between an athlete who is training and somebody who is jogging in the park. You know the difference. You see the person, you know what they're doing. Because you see see that. The the way they look, the way they run, the way they train, the the way they are focused. There is a complete difference from an athlete who is training for a competition for running or a marathon versus somebody who is jogging on the treadmill. There's a difference here. There's a big difference for somebody who is training at a gym for some kind of a competition and and me working out. Right? There's There's a big difference there. Right? I'm looking at the phone, I'm looking at this, too tired, I want to go home, I'm thinking of something else. No, but the guy who's training, he's training for something, he looks very different. So the question I want to ask you is, when people look at you, are, are they able to see that you are in a different race? You are not in the race of this world. No, you are in a race after a reward and a price that is imperishable. Can people look at you? Do you look like that? No, not in the way you wear clothes. and now it's not that. It's in your attitude and your devotion and the way you work out your salvation. An athlete does not give in to his desires. An athlete exercises self-control. What about you? I want to ask you this question. Uh, do you possess your body? Or does your body possess you? Uh, do you dictate to your body? Or does your body, does your desires and your flesh dictate what you do? Who, who determines what here? Uh, can, do you have control over your appetites? Or your, does your appetite control you? Think about this. In the morning, when you want to wake up in the morning, and this is what Paul is talking about practically. Even you wake up, your body craves or oh, to snooze the alarm and go back to sleep. Your body craves to be in bed and be lazy and be turning on the bed. Oh, but do you discipline your body to be able to wake up before God? That's what an athlete would do. And Paul says your spiritual life is no different. It requires that effort. It requires that discipline. Yeah, your, your heart and mind, and I'm talking to myself here, when I wake up, my, my heart and my mind immediately rushes to the phone because I want to see the score, I want to see who's playing, I want to see what happened, I want to see the news. I want My heart is rushing, but can I discipline my heart and my mind not to wake up to my phone, but to wake up to the voice of God? Left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we go into self-saving strategy. We want to save ourselves. We know what is best. Uh, we know what is right. We we think we know what needs to happen, uh, and we want to we want to protect ourselves, save ourselves. We know all these things, but but in that moment when our heart is craving for that, would you discipline yourself to come before God in prayer? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this, right? If you're left to ourselves, we prefer to just we prefer to just avoid people as much as possible. And COVID did that. COVID did that, right? We switch off the camera and we are sitting and brushing our teeth and listening to some sermon, and we loved that. Oh, we loved it. We loved it. Because left to ourselves, we are happy with that. We don't want any contact. We don't want to meet anybody. We don't want to talk to anybody. Just me and my God, this is enough, right? Me and my Bible, this is enough. Left to ourselves, we are with that. But can you pull yourself out of that selfish and self-centered desire to come and meet with the company of God's people to encourage and build others, my friend? (laughs) This is the life of an athlete. And if you are a believer, Paul says, look at the athlete. He's going to pull himself out of bed and go to that training. There is an effort here. Please do not deceive yourself thinking you can just live however you want and somehow something is going to happen. It will not happen. You cannot grow in grace without intentional effort, hard work, discipline and self-control. Are you able to see what Paul is saying? I was reading this article about Kobe Bryant and we, we went to the NBA Academy uh, game yesterday and they, uh, they beat SRCC. These are school kids uh, who are playing uh, some of the college, uh, best college teams and uh, uh, Coach Scott had coached them, and we had a wonderful time. Semifinals is going to happen on Saturday. There's a bunch of people going. If you want to go to that game, you're welcome to tell us. Uh, Sean uh, yes. will get our seats ready for that. But uh, I was reading this uh, thing about Kobe, and there's a uh, there's another NBA player called Jay Williams who actually talks about Kobe. Uh, Jay Williams was playing for the Bulls, and Kobe was playing for the Lakers. Kobe is a basketball player uh, who passed away. Uh, and uh, the, the game, the Bulls and Lakers game was at 7 p.m. And Jay Williams is narrating the story. He's saying uh, he wanted to uh, get ahead and do some practice. And he wanted to go four hours before the game uh, to, uh, to kind of practice. So this is what he says. The game was at 7. Uh, this is the championship Lakers. I'm going to get there at 3 p.m. And I want to make sure I make 400 made shots not missed shots, made shots, before I go back into the room and I sit in the sauna and get ready for the game. Who do I see? I see Kobe Bryant, already working out. Once I set my foot across the line, I started working out. I I worked out for a good hour, hour and a half. When I came off, after I was done, I sat down and of course, I still heard the ball bouncing. I looked down and I'm like, this guy is still working out. In that game, he says, that game, Kobe Bryant drops 40 points on them. And after the game is over, Jay Williams goes to Kobe and he says, why were you working out so long in the gym? And Kobe says, I saw you come in and I wanted you to know that it doesn't matter how hard you work, that I'm willing to work harder than you. And Paul is telling us, this is what people do for a perishable wreath, for something that is perishable. And he's telling us, how much more? How much can you put these athletes to shame with your devotion to God? I remember a a story about Sachin Tendulkar, right? We, We cannot miss his dedication and his determination and his discipline Sachin uh, Tendulkar, and if you don't know, he's a cricketer uh, and uh, famous one. We call him the small g god of cricket in India. I don't, but others call him. But uh, he is, uh, uh, there, there was a time when he's at the peak of his career. Shane Warne was at the peak of his career. Shane Warne is an Australian leg spin bowler. And both of them are matching up, right? I think this was 92, 96. I, I don't remember the exact year, but there was a test in Chennai. Uh, there, there was a test series in India. Uh, and uh, it, the whole test series was a matchup between Sh- Tendulkar and Shane Warne, right? Uh, Shane Warne had this unique, uncanny ability to take wickets on the third day because the pitch is rough, right? The leg side pitch is rough. He bowls on the rough, and it and it spins and it, it 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 gets people out, right? So he is master at it. And people are preparing and all that stuff. They are there they there was a holiday before that, and then people are getting ready for the test series. Sachin Tendulkar comes to Chennai one month earlier than the test, one month earlier. Everybody is uh, hanging out with the family and all that He comes one month early to Chennai. He calls uh, El Sivaramakrishan, who is another leg spinner, the older leg spinner. He calls him, he goes to the mrf Pace foundation where people train, uh, and he digs up the leg side pitch. He digs it up, and he tells El Sivaramakrishan, he says, I want you to bowl on the rough. For one month, he digs up the pitch and he makes El Salvador bowl on the rough and he's preparing to meet Shane Warne. And in that test match in Chennai, I remember I was in uh, college and uh, the news came, Sachin is going to bat day, Immediately, 20 of us left because my... <laughs> Because my dad worked in United India, so there was a stand. There was a United India stand and I used to get some tickets. So we had 20 tickets. So immediately, right, we said, is batting. We left, we went, we watched that game, right? And we were sitting there. Shane Warne comes and he bowls on the rough. Tendulkar hits him for a six. Game over. Game over. India won the test match. It was an amazing match. But nobody, we think about Tendulkar's record, we think about all that, nobody thinks of his discipline behind the scenes. Oh, his work ethic behind the scenes. And Paul says, my friends, they work for an imperishable price. How much more? How much more we who have an eternal, they work for a perishable price. How much more we for an imperishable price? So we see the model. How are we to run? It's the athlete's preparation. Secondly, we see the motivation. What's the motivation here? The motivation for the race is the athlete's prize. The motivation is the athlete's prize. Verse 25. For every every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive. Why are they doing it? Why are they exercising self-control? Are they just... Are they just mad? Why? No, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. This is why, he, he says, this is why. Paul says, this is so, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. And I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, Paul is saying, I am not exempt from this. This is not for you Right? Paul, Paul is actually including him into this. He says, I, I don't run aimlessly. I don't beat uh, like I'm boxing in the air. No, I discipline my body. I bring it under my control. Why? Because I don't want to be disqualified and I'm running off the price. He gives two motivations here. One is a negative motivation. One is a positive motivation. Both go hand in hand. The first is a negative motivation. He says, no, I, I don't want to be disqualified at the end. I want to finish well. I don't want to be disqualified. Uh, He's not talking about losing his salvation. And I want you to understand this. Because everywhere Paul is talking about salvation is a gift. It is not something you earn. It is not something you do. So he's not changing his language here. No, he's he's talking about forfeiting the price, the eternal reward. He's not talking about the race. So he's not talking about his salvation, but he's talking about the price. He's talking about disqualification for the price in the end. So he says, this is why I don't run aimlessly. I discipline myself. He says, I'm not going to let my body, I'm not going to let my desires, I'm not going to let my flesh dictate the direction of my life. No, no, he says, no. He, he, he's saying, no, I, I'm not going to be a slave to my impulses. I'm not going to be a slave to my flesh, but I'm going to be a slave to righteousness. He says, that takes discipline. And he's warning the Corinthians in this context. He's warning them. He's saying, he's telling them, you're in danger of losing this eternal reform. You are in danger of disqualifying yourself because you make so much about your freedoms. The freedoms have become so important for you. Your rights and your comforts and all that. They are so important for you that you are putting yourself in a place where you're going to be, you're disqualifying yourself from what is awaiting in eternity. So, my friend, this morning I want, I want to I want to humbly point to some of us, some of us, some of us love some things too much. We love love certain things too much, and these are good things, these are not bad things. We we love our freedoms too much. We love our rights too much. We love our comforts too much. We, We love our success and our money too much. We love our pleasure too much. We love this too much. And my friends, when we love something too much, it becomes a hindrance. It entangles us, it distracts us, it weighs us down, and you put yourself in a place where you are disqualifying yourself from receiving that eternal reward. Hebrews 12.1 says, Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside, meaning throw off every weight or every hindrance, every weight or hindrance, and, and sin, throw off every sin which clings so closely, which entangles us, in our he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And some of us, and it is, it is, it grieves me and it is sad, some of us are on the sidelines. Some of us are on the sidelines. Some of us are sitting in the stands and not running the race. So, some of us are, have stopped running and it could be because of many reasons. The reasons can be endless. The reason could be sin. Sin can make you unfit. Sin will put you in a place where you disqualify yourself from the eternal price. The sin of gossip when we can't tame our tongue when we, are, uh, when we are proud about who we are, when we are unteachable and not willing to listen, when we are not a good steward of the time and resources that God has given us, when we are too busy with the world, when we love the world too much, when we disobey God's word willfully, when we are not able to control our tongue, when we are critical and complaining and materialistic and the list can go on, we disqualify ourselves because of sin and how we live. Not only sin, sometimes suffering. Suffering. When we suffer, it makes us cynical. When we suffer, we are weary in spirit. When we suffer, we become doubtful. We are filled with unbelief. There is bitterness creeping in. We, we resent God. We resent His people. We become cold and distant. And my friend, suffering itself is not the issue here. But how I respond to the suffering how I deal with my heart and how I guard my heart from becoming cold and resentful and bitter. My friend, that is going to determine if I'm, if I'm going to be disqualifying myself from the race or not, from the price or not. The stresses of life, sin, suffering, stresses of life, trials and thorns and thistles and anxieties and worries choke us and make us unfruitful, and not useful in the kingdom Satan himself he's active to distract you he's active to deceive you he's active to divide your loyalty in your heart he's active to tempt you so that you will disobey and paul gives us a warning don't let yourself by the way you live don't let yourself be disqualified and paul says i don't want to be disqualified He's not talking about losing his salvation. That is purchased by Christ. He's talking about, oh, the running and finishing well and meeting Christ who has a reward. Story is told of, uh, not story, but it's a true story of, there were two, the two guys who played cricket and who emerged into the Indian scene, right? Today is all sports because it's a sports image. You can blame Paul for that. Uh, we know Tendulkar, you know who's the other guy? Minot yeah. Kambli. What a story. I Sometimes I... It hurts me when I talk about him. Minot right? Both of these guys were schoolmates. Both of these guys shattered the record for the highest partnership when they played. When they were 15, 13, 14, 15, they scored 600 runs in a game. I, I, the other team, imagine the other team. Right? They are bowling and bowling. These guys are batting. 600 runs, right? Both of them, and some actually say, and this is on record, they say, Kamli is much more talented than Tendulkar. Much more aggressive, much more flamboyant. Tendulkar made his debut three years before Kamli, and some actually say simply because of his caste. Because of his caste. Kamli it took three more years for him to come. Okay? Because he's from a different caste. But then when Kamli came into the scene, Tendilkar took 10 years to score a double century. Are you tracking me? 10 years. Calmly scored two double centuries in the first five matches. Calmly was from another world. But he ended his test, his test career, when he was 24. 24, 17 matches, and he's gone. And Kapal, in his interview, he's comparing both these guys, and he says the reason, and... Kamli simply says the reason is, the reason is discipline. And there were other issues. There were so many things Kamli was going through. But he says Kamli didn't have the discipline. He didn't have the discipline. Flamboyant, gifted, no discipline. And, and Paul is reminding us, my friend, don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself by how you live. And and we see this in Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter three, verse twelve. In Corinthians, he's already talked about this. He says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, there is a foundation laid by Christ. That is wonderful. It is by grace. It is by faith. It is by the finished work of Christ on the cross. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, right? We build it. He's talking about the image of a building, right? And you can build it with different materials. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day is talking about the return of Christ. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, the foundation is secure. Oh, the there's nothing wrong with the foundation that is based on Christ and Christ alone. No, but if anyone is building on this foundation, if, if anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built, burnt up if it is because of wood and hay and straw and it is burnt up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as the friar right? Paul is talking about, he's saying no, it's not about the salvation, you will be saved it's not about salvation, oh but it is about something greater there's something greater that awaits you and Paul says I don't want to live in a way that I will disqualify myself So he has a negative uh, motivation. But he he talks about a positive motivation. Right? Positive motivation. And we see the negative motivation throughout scripture. We see this in Esau. You remember Esau? For a bowl of stew? He gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. My friends, you gotta be careful. You gotta listen to Paul's warning here. Some of us are casual. We are casual. Right? And we are casual about the spiritual things. We're casual about God. No, no. Don't forfeit. Don't forfeit. Don't disqualify yourself. There's a positive motivation. Right? Positive motivation is the price that awaits you. Why does an athlete wake up? Why does an athlete train? Why? Because he looks good before people? Right? No. Is it a virtue? Is it something that people applaud him? No. He is after a prize. He is after a price. That is why he disciplines himself. And Paul says, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, and Paul is saying, this is what should motivate you. Look at the price. Look at what Christ is saying. And for some of us, and my friends, for some of us, and I want, for some of us, for some of us, we are too, we are too consumed. We're too consumed by earthly prices, earthly rewards. Earthly rewards and earthly prices consume us and controls. We give everything. Oh, we give our sweat. We give our money. We give our, We give everything to get an earthly price. To get an earthly price. But Paul is saying, but Paul is saying, Revelation 22, 12. Paul is saying, oh, this is uh, John. In Revelation 22, John says, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus says, look, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Listen to the words of Jesus. I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Oh, my friends, I want you to pay attention here. And I know some of you, oh, some of you, you are going through difficult times. You're going through difficult trials. Some of you are going through intense suffering. Some of you are going through conflicts in life and misunderstandings and it hurts you. Some of you are going through pain which nobody knows. Some of you are going through challenges at your workplace. You are ignored and unappreciated and overlooked. Some of you don't feel respected and loved. By your family, maybe even in your own marriage. Some of you uh, don't feel like your own parents understand you. My friend, listen to the words of Jesus. I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Will you be faithful? Will Will you be faithful in your suffering? It doesn't mean you're happy all the time. It doesn't mean you forget things and everything is fine. No more. In your suffering, in your challenges, in your trials, will you guard your heart to be faithful to Him? Will you not become cynical and lose hope and disqualify yourself? Will you look at the price that awaits you and remain faithful to Him? This is what First Corinthians chapter two verse nine says, "What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him." My friend, this is for you. This is for you. Listen to him. Don't listen to the world. Oh, don't listen to the devil. <laughs> don't even listen to your own heart that is probably condemning you. Listen to Christ. And run the race with perseverance. This is what C.S. Lewis, with all these at the background, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and pleasure and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be terrible if we as believers were easily pleased with an earthly crown that will perish when we die or before it? when there is a heavenly crown reserved for us, if only we would strive for it. You tracking me? There's a motivation. My friend, are you living like you are in a race? Are you living like there is a price? Are you living like there is a God who sees you? So there's a model, there's a motivation. And lastly, very quickly, the means for the race. The means for the race is the athlete's passion. The athlete's passion. Where, where, do, where do we get the power to live like this? Where do we, where do we get it? I want to point you to Hebrews 12.1. The athlete's, athlete has one passion and that is for the price. Right now, where do we get our passion? What is, what is that ultimate for us? Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Was to how? How do we run this race? How can we finish well? How can we be faithful? Was to looking to Jesus. Oh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My friend, do you want to finish the race well? It is not your, it is not your willpower. This is not sitting here and making a resolution today saying I will live for Christ and I will do this from tomorrow. Why? Because today we got some plans. So from tomorrow, I I will try harder. I will work harder. I will try my best. This is not the gospel. You trying your best is not the gospel. Oh, the gospel is looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. He ran the race for you, my friends. He ran the race Faithfully, he endured the cross, he endured the shame on your behalf. He finished it well. Why? Why? How how did he finish it? It says, For the joy that was set before him. Have you thought of what is this joy before Christ that actually helped him endure some of these things? Endure the shame and endure the suffering. Oh, this the, the wrath of God that was poured up. What was this joy that was not with him in heaven? In the perfect union of Trinity? What was this joy that was set before him that made him endure all these things? You know what that joy is? It is you and I. It is our union with Him. Oh, that was so joyful. That joy made Him endure. My friend, the way we can run the race, the way we can endure, He made us His joy and that endure, we can endure our race when we make Him our ultimate joy. or when He becomes our ultimate passion. My friend, when He is my ultimate passion, when He is my ultimate delight, when He is my ultimate treasure, when He is my ultimate prize, every other treasure in this world, every other prize in this world, those are good things. It's not bad things. Everything has its place. It is ordered. You, you You make work as your ultimate prize, you might get what you want in your work, but everything else suffers. Everything else suffers. You make success, your ultimate. You may get your success, but everything else suffers. It is only when you make Jesus, oh, your ultimate passion, that every other passion, every other delight is ordered in your life. We want to finish with a song. And I love this song. It says, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. Let's pray. Father, even as we sing this song, may we understand, oh, may we understand the words of this song May we understand the words of the Apostle Paul. May we understand your words, Jesus. I pray that as we sing, it will not be something from our mouths, but it will truly be the longing of our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. I pray for people who are going through trials and struggles. I pray that you will renew their heart to keep you as their passion. That in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the struggles, oh, they will run hard after you. I pray for people who are distracted and deceived and people who are struggling with sin. I, oh, I, this morning, I pray that our hearts will run after you and listen to your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.